0: Thank you. Dear friends, uh, I want to first of all thank all the ones, dear ones, that have listened to our podcast and have some of them, some of you have shared feedback. Thank you so much. But it really, is a privilege to bring this content uh, uh, through Share the Well. Today, we will continue the discussion on worldview between Tarun Clark and myself. We're going to explore the worldview of Christian agnosticism and uh, the tenets of Christianity. Uh, where they come together and where they disagree, right? Um, And what are the premises uh, for the Christian agnosticism tenet? And what are the areas where we diverge and uh, disagree on? And what are the topics that we really want to explore and and test uh, each other's worldview? So we're going to do that. Take a listen. And I'll meet you guys at the end of the podcast. You know, I think it's good. It's good. It was good just to walk around, you know, talk, um, different things. And, um, I was like, I was struggling to stand Saturday and Sunday. I don't know what happened my year, you know, something happened to my balance. Ooh. Um, so yeah, Monday, Tuesday kind of got better today. got even better. I think just going out Clark was really helpful. Just stepping out and coming back in. I feel way, way better than, you know, like Saturday. Uh, that's what happens when you uh,
1: argue with Maya. She slaps you outside my <laughs> head while she's sleeping.
2: Clark, I'm interested to know why your head went there first.
0: It <laughs> <laughs> <just> is overflowing. <laughs> oh, all right. So, um. Maybe uh, uh, Tarun, why don't don't you kind of uh, help us understand how you've been processing some of this discussion. We've had, what, nine hours? I think seven hours or nine hours. I don't know of just discussion. How are you you processing it? And I'd like to hear from Clark as well. How are you processing all of what we're discussing? Sure.
2: Um, I wonder if maybe Clark would want to start just because I I, Clark, were you familiar with kind of the perspective that I had, maybe uh, under another term or maybe under, maybe under another name you'd heard it, but, or, or was this maybe the first time you encountered something like Christian agnosticism?
1: Actually, this was the, you're, you're the first Christian agnostic that I've come encountered with, so. so. Would
2: you, would you maybe want to start then? I am just thinking because I, I, I have thoughts on our conversation, but not so much obviously on your worldview or perspective because I, I feel like I have more of a sense of it or more of an understanding of it. Yeah,
1: that's fine. I think it is, you know, the the concept I find intriguing um, because it is, uh, I guess in some ways, a, 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 a modernization uh, into, like the, into a intellectualization of of the bible in some ways it's sort of like yeah, i'm going to study it from a uh just a, a a textual standpoint and let me you know take out from it what i feel uh would help society and then then apply it to your own life that's that's the sense that i'm getting from it um and there are definitely merits to that, um, you know. Obviously, through your discussions, you know, you know that I don't uh, agree with it, but I do understand the, the position
2: mm-hmm.
1: and how people have come to that position.
2: And would you so? Would you say your biggest point of disagreement um, is that it removes any? Potency that these powerful and beautiful and true ideas have if you turn Jesus into a story and from a person. Uh,
1: yes, you know that definitely is one of the prime primary issues I have with it. Um, but this kind of uh, extraction text, I would, I guess, I don't think it's it's new. And in, in, I think, you know, others have tried it to some extent in the past. Um, so I think in this era, perhaps, you know, you put a different speaker behind it or a different, uh, um, different title, but I, I believe this has been done in the past. Mm-hmm. So, but I, but I do again, you know, it's, it's a, I, I respect anybody who, um, you know, follows in this, because it does show a pattern of thought, pattern of uh, consideration, and um, especially, you know, trying to help humanity in, in that respect. So uh, again, I, I'm, you know, I, I respect you for that. And any, anybody who follows in that kind of philosophy.
2: What, what about you, Don? Would you say it's a similar kind of, or what would your response be to it? <clears throat> and and not, not that I'm seeking affirmation or anything. I'm just curious to know what direction we can take today's conversation in.
0: Yeah, sure, sure, sure. You know, um, <laughs> I was given heavy feedback by Abilash of how I uh, speak <laughs> in the, <laughs> in the uh, you know, podcast, but I'm, I'm really grateful for that, for any feedback, I think. Um, so, um, it, it it is um, it is something that I'm still processing. Um, honestly, I you know I, I I wouldn't go either way to kind of say this is what I think it is. Um, mm-hmm. But I'd say um, because if I, if I were to kind of process just the name, the phraseology or the name or the category, right? say Christian, right? Um, which basically means follower of Christ mm-hmm. um, and then agnostic, uh, meaning does not believe in God or does not know if God exists. I think let's put it that way. Atheistic would basically say, I don't, there is no God. Agnostic, yeah. you would say, I don't know if there's a God. Um, so, it, it, you know, it kind of gives that, there's a different spin to that uh, name. When I say spin, what I mean is oh, there's a meaning behind that and I'm, I'm, I'm figuring out what that meaning is. I think you've elucidated. Um, yeah. I try to write it down, right. Because I, I kind of process by writing down, right. you know, and, and reading it back again and, and confirming with you. Right. And, yeah. and that's also good for you as well. Right. When you write down, write stuff down, I think it becomes much more clearer. Okay. How, you know, it's, it's what I would say is premise leads us to, Conclusion leads us to decision, leads us to choices, leads us to action. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, I think, good to kind of explore premise and figure out. So, you know, so I, I'm learning as well, um, you know, how can a follower of Christ, Christian, uh, deny what he what he claimed, right? He claimed deity. And I think that, you know, we can go back and forth with what that really means and, and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, so, how would that then kind of? How would you juxtaposition agnosticism with the Christian? So, when you put those two terms together, mm-hmm. I think it's to kind of, uh, you know, explore more or explain more.
2: Right. It seems like uh,
0: it seems like an oxymoron in a sense. Yeah. Self, it seems like contradicting one another. Those two terminologies. Right. Uh, kind of seemingly. Right, uh, and maybe you it's making sense for you, but just as an outsider, I'd, I'd ask more questions saying, what does it mean to be a Christian? What mm-hmm. does it mean to be an agnostic? And how would you put those two things together? And I, I, I think I hear your argument to say, if I remove deity from Christ, right, then, then I think you can put those two terms together. Mm-hmm. Then you're basically saying, this is a good story that I can believe in without ascribing Deity. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think you could potentially explain it that way. Right.
2: Um, I I think to address the first point you made about how the name can be contradictory, I think I agree with that, which is why I probably, I've heard it explained as, oh, I've heard it also described as Christ leaning agnostic. Um, And maybe that's a, Maybe that's a more useful way of considering it, though maybe it does could lead someone to the same perception after just hearing that phrase, Christ-leaning. But I do agree with you. Christian is obviously a word which is laden with meaning from thousands of years, so perhaps that's not the most effective. Um, yeah, no, I agree with that point. Um, the second part would be Well, maybe not the second part, but just one thing that we can clarify and consider a little more, if you guys think it's worth doing, is really understanding what the difference is between someone believing in the deity of Christ and not believing in the deity of Christ. Mm. Um, And I guess we have gone over it a little bit, but maybe just to clarify that position, do you think that's a worthwhile
0: uh, exercise? I, I, yeah, yeah. I, I think we can we can go in uh, we can go in that direction. We figure out right if there's a you know rabbit hole. Then we can say, oh, it's a rabbit hole, and get back. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> uh,
2: um, there, there is, sorry, there was and also I should say um, I was thinking this week about because when where we ended last week or or maybe even one of the main ideas is can a story be powerful enough to influence and change your life. Um, and that really got me thinking about, have, have either of you read Yuval Harari's Sapiens?
0: No, no I like Aesop's Fable, so you can ask him around that. If <laughs> <laughs> you do have the book, but you haven't got to it? I've got to four stories of that, 90, I think, that are there, right? I think there are about 90 stories, right? There are about 80-something, yes. Yeah.
2: Oh, no, no, sorry, this was this was something else. This is Yuval Harari, he's a writer. He wrote a book called Sapiens. It's the Subtitled A Brief History of Humankind or something. Like changing
0: that. books now. You have to tell us one book and then we'll read that. <laughs> no, 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 no. So, <laughs> I, 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 what I was trying to say, <laughs> well, maybe this one might be an even better book because I was
2: thinking. Okay, about okay. It. we can but, read that. Sure. Um, but the, the, main, the main premise of this guy's book, it's, it's a really awesome book. I really enjoyed it. It opened my eyes up. Sapiens, to, is it? Sapiens? Sapiens, yeah. It, it's, I think it was two or three, maybe even more, four or five years ago. It was on the New York Times bestsellers list. I think it received a lot of um, it l- received a lot of public attention because I think people like Mark Zuckerberg and Obama had recommended it, and so people were like, "Oh, what's this book? Who's written it?" Um, but this guy, he's he's a Jewish writer named uh, Israeli writer, not Jewish writer, Israeli writer named um, Yuval Harari, and his the, the main idea is that why humans are different from all other animals is because we have the power to tell these stories and communally believe in them. And so, and it really changed my perspective when he started to talk about things like countries, things like um, large corporations, or or just even the idea of a corporation, Um, things like sports, things like believing in rights. These are stories we tell each other And these are stories we believe in so powerfully that they actually affect uh, the way we interact with one another, the way we actually perceive the world. Mm. So is this an idea that you guys have encountered or or, or thought about? I I feel like you might have. Well, I mean, in in every aspect
1: of your, we'll we'll use the term Christian agnosticism. There are, you know, there are facets that are completely consistent and with you know, the, the the God of the Bible and, and the Bible. I mean, we were created for relationship, relationship with God and relationship with one another. Obviously, the relationship with God is primacy. Um, and how do we communicate? One way of communication is through stories. And the Lord Jesus is, I would say, the best storyteller because he throws parables that are, like uh, Donald always likes to say, there's layers upon layers upon layers of meanings in his parables. So, I think storytelling is just part of who we were created uh, to be and to do and to enjoy. Uh, so I don't see any, you know, you know, conflicting um, principles behind that book *Sapiens* or. Uh, what it says in the Bible. I mean, there are tons of uh, stories. I mean, the Bible is is replete with, you know, stories that children learn, you know, that we all know about like Samson and and, uh, Noah and yet so complex that, you know, philosophers and theologians are still, you know, uh, studying them. So, I mean, I don't think stories contradicts anything
2: right but but more more so that the no i don't don't mean story just in the sense of a tale like t-a-l-e i mean story in the sense of we get a sense of facts and it's not immediately apparent how those facts are to be ordered and organized and so we order and organize those facts into a way that we believe gives gives them a sense of meaning so for instance um, so, for instance, to think of something like a large corporation, like Merck, for instance, that Don works for. Merck is really just what you and a bunch of shareholders and a bunch of employees and a whole bunch of stakeholders agree it is, right? There's, there's nothing objective in reality that exists. There's no moving being that exists that's Merck. And yet we all no one would say that no one would say that Merck is false or that it is a lie, even though it doesn't exist as a being. My point the point I'm trying to make is that there is this, this agreed upon way of organizing these facts, which is that a group of people work together towards a common goal. And that makes something, even money, for instance, is just a story we tell each other. And that makes this other story that brings value and somehow brings progress and prosperity to the world. All of, all of what I'm trying to get at is that stories can be so powerful that they shape reality itself and our perception of reality. And based on the premise that stories have that ability to shape reality, one can look at... the message of Christianity or the the gospel or the the story of Jesus and can be, can have their reality shaped by it. Um, I don't know. I I would challenge that statement.
1: I'm not so sure that stories um, shape reality. I think it's the converse. I think reality, there's a common thread throughout history and reality and human beings have been, Endowed with the ability to um, to parse out what's important and what's not important, and then put it into story form. So, you know, I, you know, I recently saw the movie um, Mean Girls. Mm-hmm. You know, this is this is for all our younger listeners out there.
2: <laughs> <laughs> this is
1: to attract all the young. You know.
2: And you realize I the high art you'd been missing on. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> no,
1: so of. the only reason I, I looked at that movie is because basically it's, it's irrelevant. Why I, you know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't tacitly recommend it, um, but it's not bad, but it's, it's very interesting in that in this system, you have high school, you call it high school. There are many different, uh, groups in there, right? So it's, it's sectarianism in this small small little country called high school, and they have to deal with the way people treat each other and stuff like that. So this story of, you know, I think Tina Fey wrote the thing. It's her way of expressing humanity in story form. She also, I'm, I'm making assumptions, sorry, Tina. If you're listening to this, first of all, thank you. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <One second.
1: laughs> I'm sorry to paraphrase or to, but I'm, I, I assume that she's, I'll use that word assume, she's seeing these threads in humanity and she sees what transpired in her youth in high school and the parallels that she sees and the wrongs and the rights. And so she puts it into story form. I don't think mean girls will affect society. Um, in a grand scheme, it may affect it in a, in a small way. Uh, so maybe some person or, you know, will watch that movie and say, okay, I'll try and do this a little better.
2: Or no, let me ask you this, cause I, I think, I think maybe I'm, I'm not explaining it as well, but would you say that America is a story? We're, we're, yes. Our notion, our notion of this country is a story.
0: It's built on that.
2: No, but sure. But also, what keeps it going is a story we tell ourselves that there exists this geographical location called America, and within it, certain laws and certain rights. And... Right. But you could say <laughs> that about anything. I mean, we all, all three of uh, all three of us, are all working stories. Totally. Absolutely. I agree with that. And that actually does affect our, our perception of reality. So what, what isn't a story, what is an objective biological fact is that you the, the three of us are, are biological beings that exist within space and time. Those are objective facts. Outside of that, Clark, Chinese, um, New York or New Jersey, ENT and then likewise all of the things that identify and define dawn and all of the things that identify and uh, describe me those are all stories and so even though those are all stories we don't live or or we don't allow that well first of all we don't even think we don't always think of it in that sense Um, and that's not a bad thing Um, but we don't allow that to we don't allow that what am I trying to say? Um, even though those, though, even though those are stories, we don't necessarily view it just as a story. We, we take that as part of reality. We hold that as if that is uh, the truth with a capital T. So I'm also just going to turn on some lights because it's getting darker than I thought it would. <clears throat> but you,
1: you make a powerful statement there, Darren. and it just goes to you know, you know from a I'm going to say from a Christian perspective, it's a very powerful statement because the, the difference between humanity and the animal kingdom can also be this kind of difference. And, you know, my brother's going to hate that statement because he he's a real, you know, animal lover kind of situation, but, you know, God has imbued humanity with this, many potentials. And one of them is like what you're saying, Thorn, is this capacity uh, to make history, I guess that's the word. Um, and you, you can't say that for uh, you know a chicken or, or maybe a dog because I'm a dog lover, but,
0: <laughs> but uh, you know, so I see your point. Yeah. Uh, I have like three questions for you, uh, both, both of you. Like, so I think there are the terminology. I know one of the feedback was very abstract. Hey, this is an abstract discussion. So, worldview is going to be a little abstract. If you you don't want to listen to it, you can bump off. You can switch off your iPod or whatever right now. It's going to be abstract. It's going to remain abstract a little bit. Um, We spoke about reality. And then there is perception of. A reality. Then we added another terminology called meaning. It needs to be meaningful and purposeful. And then we so there are assumptions being made that there's something exists or we are creating something. But I don't think that happens in a vacuum. For instance, you gave the example of Merck. Let's put that to the test. Who makes that entity that wasn't there uh, legitimate to give it legitimacy, though it does not exist as a person, but it exists as a legal person that can make transactions and you know that can hold people, hire people, you know, make drugs or whatever. This that there, there is seeming there is beyond that reality of creation of that. Merck as an entity, there's something outside of it that's actually giving some legitimacy. We can call it whatever, right? we could call it authority or because in order to create that reality there needs to be some level of legitimacy which is above that reality. So like the authority of the government of the US, United States of America has to say I legitimize the creation of this entity. So seemingly there's another authority that's legitimizing this reality, even though people create it. Right. Right. So if you if you start to see that, you'll start to see there's a circle or reference there in some sense. That's what I think, Clark, your point is valid to kind of say people have been given that that great gift to even put up this authority. Let's say the FDA for now is the one that. Manages this entity of Merck and everything that Merck does. I'm sure there are other agencies that look at it, like the IRS would look at it because of tax purposes. There are many other authorities that are kind of managing this quote unquote reality that the people have made. So there seems to be things that are outside of that that is actually creating that reality or legitimizing that reality but if you take a smuggle smuggler's organization yeah. it's delegitimized by a authority saying that's not an that's an entity that we will not recognize actually we'll take it down but that's still an entity created by the people right it's it's an organization that's delivering certain things to certain customers and it exists because of the idea of the people that are creating it but it's still kind of uh, you know compared to or delegitimized you know by certain authority so seemingly the authority is greater than that reality you know what i mean sure hopefully that kind of makes sense to kind of add it into your overall ecosystem that realities don't exist in a vacuum they are they are in an ecos ecosystem and there seems to be things that are outside of that reality that is legitimizing that reality. Right. But in this, but
2: so I think where the analogy continues with what I'm saying is that in the same way that Merck is a story, the government of the US is also a story.
0: Correct. Agree. Agree with your premise. I don't, right. I don't disagree with your premise. I'm just. I'm just saying that It's, it's, um, you might want to check the logic around independent reality. There seems to be dependence of a reality and it's subjective all the time because something, I see what you're saying, sure, is legitimizing something. So there's nothing that is so independent that it is the reality of realities, right? Where we would go to if we were to say we have. The reality that gives other realities meaning.
2: Right. Got you. So I think. W- so I think in that analogy, then, what I would view as the authority over legitimizing this story or this entity, I would say, is rationality or our ability to reason.
0: Right. Okay. Okay. Agree. I agree. I agree with your premise right. uh, of uh, uh, of uh, of according. Rationality being the supreme arbiter of truth, exactly. But it's it's not a person. No. it's it's inside of people, but right. it's still outside of people. You have to agree to that kind of premise, right? It's it's above people because if people are doing this reality, it has to be above. It is still done by people because you have to kind of fix that rationality. Rationality somewhere. Right. Right? Right. It has to be so it has to be independent of, therefore, it can create all these other realities. And therefore, it has to have self-existence. Because it has to be independent, right? It can't be dependent. If it's dependent, then it's depending on something else. I'm,
2: can you explain that more because I'm I, sorry, I I guess I'm just slow on processing this, but yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Do, I don't necessarily see the connection between that. So wh- where, I, where I agree with you that it is above this reality, or, or the realities and the stories we tell ourselves and why I think rationality should be at the top is that it or when we say that what we mean by that is we defer decision-making and we defer truth or, or we defer the lens with which we view reality and understand reality through rationality correct. correct but but that doesn't mean that it exists as an independent entity in the sense that God exists as a su- as an independent, entity outside of, or not even outside of us, but uh, in some ways separate and distinct from us. Correct. Our rationality is, is, is just, we. well, it's taken thousands of years to arrive at the place where we allow it to just be the um, authoritative decision maker, but it's not distinct from us.
0: Yeah, so that's where I think uh, there would be divergence in our thinking, because one of the names of Jesus is Logos.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: The ultimate of this, the the reality that is defining all of the smaller realities. So that's where I think we would diverge, and um, you know, in in terms of our in terms of our source and origin. Right. Uh, but I think the premises are, uh, you know, uh, you're drawing the same premise, and and uh, you you have to define this super rationality that gives every other subjective reality meaning purpose and, and and perception that can then make sense to people so it is kind of a super rational kind of cloud that gives everything else and and your premise is that this has been built over a period of time by the ones that are actually making that perceiving that reality right um so it's 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 made by the people who are actually perceiving realities it's it's made by the same people i'm just i, I hope I, i'm not you know we can we can write it down and sure kind of sure process, process that, that right? i think it's important
2: right
1: so Th- Tharan, your your point about stories is what
2: i guess what i'm trying to say is that it's possible for a story to be so powerful that it n- not only shapes your perception of reality, but it also shapes your behavior, and it shapes your sense of morality and what is right and what is wrong.
0: Yeah, yeah, I don't argue with that. I don't think the the only question I would have there is, it, I'm not uh, arguing against the effect. I'm arguing the cause. And the um, arguing when I say I'm just you know asking the question is should that story be true or can it be false? I'm not talking of the effect, you, a false story can have an effect right. right? Um, it can definitely have an effect, a devastating effect on people right Seen that right especially in these years how a false narrative can actually kill people. Totally. Um, but what is the, um, you know, can, can it be false or true, right? I mean, that's a question.
2: Totally. I One of the things that really drew me, or one of the things that Jordan Peterson says, and I'm sure others have said it before him, but he's a source that I've heard it from, is that there's a distinction between what is true and what is real. And I think that that is where the difference is The the... Um, the distinction isn't necessarily between true and false as much as it is between true and real. So for example, again, and this is where it comes to stories is I was thinking about the boy who cried wolf. I don't know. I was thinking a lot about idioms too. Idioms are one of those really interesting examples of, of stories that aren't necessarily real or well, they may have been, but they might also not have been, but they're still true. Um, and in that light, And this is why fables kept coming to mind. And I couldn't think of a single one. But then the (laughs) boy who cried wolf jumped into my head. Um, When you tell the story, I'm sure both of you know what story I'm speaking about, right? Yeah. yeah. And if I were to ask either of you if that story is real, I'm sure either of you would go, I don't know, because we couldn't necessarily pin down the exact boy, where he was, the exact language he was speaking, what wolves and what sheep he was speaking about. But if I were to ask either of you if that story is true, you undoubtedly would both say, yes, the story is true. That if you do call wolf unnecessarily, there will come a time when you do call wolf and know when there really are wolves coming at you and no one will come to protect you. And so do you see what I'm? the point I'm trying to make? It's that a thing doesn't necessarily have to be real for it to be true. And I believe that that translates over to this idea that one doesn't have to accept that Jesus is the son of God in the literal sense of he is the offspring or the byproduct or even a, a, a version of God um, in the literal sense for the words that he's speaking, or for the idea of his sacrifice to still be true. I, I you know, again,
1: I, I'm gonna, you know, respectfully disagree. Um, and in, in that, you know, the, the, the most simplistic analysis of that fable is that, right? If you cry wolf too many times, you know, people aren't gonna come. Um but you know, there's a, if you think about the premise behind that is actually, there are many assumptions made in that story that really shouldn't be assumed. It's a very simplistic thing, and for the most part, but it also speaks to the human uh, sinful nature here. Um, because why aren't people running, even though, here's this gentleman or I think it's a boy um, who's yelling. They're not coming to him again. One, it's a boy. Why aren't the villages running to this boy? You know, even if, if my daughter says something erroneously multiple times, and I find it a, a nuisance, somebody needs to tell this individual boy or whatever. And it, if they don't learn and my daughter still repeats that same error, I'm still going to run to my daughter. If my daughter every night says, there's a, there's a burglar in the house. There's a burglar in the house. I would check it every night. Do you understand my point in this? So uh, I think, you know, the story is simplistic. It's, I understand, and I, you know, I, I understand a lot of Aesop's fables and why he wrote what he did. Um, it is, you know, again, it's it's sort of like Tina Fey writing what he sees in humanity and and living in and so you know your statement of real and true being different. I, I, I would, I'm, I'm not a philosopher, and you know, you know, I didn't go to, you know. Th- I didn't take courses on logic and all those kind of things, but I, I have to say that that premise is, is false because mm-hmm. then what, what is, what is truth measuring if not real things?
2: Well, what is it a, a description of? So truth. So I guess where maybe the distinction is coming in is real, could also be used synonymously with literal. So, okay, wait, wait. Let me go back here. Um, so, I, I, I my test for something
1: being true is it has to be logic. These are actually Robbie Zacharias's points of the eye. You know I didn't make it up. It has to be logically consistent, empirically adequate, and you know, experientially relevant. If those three, usually, if you and uh, coherent. That's the, the fourth one he uses. It has to be coherent. That to me is a pretty good summary of what something is true, and I guess if you want to, you know, parse semantics on the definition of what is real, I guess we could talk about that.
0: Yeah, I have a couple of questions. Yeah, you. You um, um, so your premise is it need not be real to be true, right? right um and I think that's that's um that I think you know so if you take the parables of Jesus I'm just you know I'm sure, those to,
2: are great examples
0: yeah those are examples of they're not real but Jesus made a story to illustrate a, a, a truth paradigm right mm-hmm. to help illustrate to people um but I think my question is, can so it need not be real to be true. Can it be true without it being real if you do the opposite logic?
2: Can a thing be or no, but that works the same way. So a thing can be true even if it isn't real, in the same way that even if a thing is not real, it can be true. If so. I guess we have to define "real." What do you mean by "real"? Is it like- real? Real is empirical and verifiable. So the claim that Jesus is the Son of God is a claim that I don't think is real, Or that God exists. I, we, I get, those are both huge claims. I don't know which one we want to talk about. Maybe we can do. <laughs> maybe we can do. Jesus is the Son of God. That's not a verifiable claim, but that Jesus really existed is a historical fact. And that's verifiable in the record. So
1: what? Yeah. So let me ask you, where do you get that? So you, you made this claim that Jesus is not God verifiable. Where did you get the basis for that claim?
2: Wait, the claim that Jesus is the son of God is not verifiable. That's correct. Well, I would I how would ask you how. Well, I would ask you how it is that you have verified it empirically, like you've essentially what you've done is at that point, you've made a leap of faith and said, I cannot know this as I know, in the same way that I know. I guess this is a bad example because it. They both no, no, it's a good one because. I'll make a bet with you. If
1: I can come up with some empirically verifiable uh, evidence, then you have to come up with some empirically viable evidence to the contrary.
2: But I'm not making a claim that Jesus is not the son of God. I'm just no, you're saying. Not, don't no, 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 believe-
1: That's you're, you're making the claim that it is, you cannot,
2: there is no evidence that, or, Jesus or let me change that. Then that's fair. Let me change that. There's no evidence that would that I believe is, and I believe I guess a lot of people that Jesus is the Son of God. There's there's no evidence that directly or that makes that conclusion evident. In in but the what, same. What if there were? What if there were? I I'd, I'd love. To if there was, then I believe that the right thing to do as a, as someone that is using rationality as your um, as the guide to truth or the determinant of truth. If there was that evidence, then one would believe that Jesus is the Son of God.
0: Thank you, friends, for listening into the podcast. Uh, We hope you enjoyed uh, that discussion uh, where we explored Christian agnosticism. We look for evidence. I mean, that's the way we are made. We look for evidence, whether it's in people or organizations, systems, religious systems, teachers, gurus, you name it. We're always looking for evidence uh, to substantiate our beliefs whether we do it consciously or whether we do it unconsciously and there are different kinds of approaches that people take um, we live our worldview and that is a reality Um, and i don't think we can escape that reality whether we know what our worldview is whether we know what we believe and why we believe what we believe is a question for us and that's where Uh, we want to challenge you uh, if you've listened to this uh, podcast is do you know what you believe do you know why you believe what you believe do you have evidence for that belief and uh, why we ask that is because based on the worldview everything else is a successor to it what do I mean by that is what I hold as value what my thoughts are, how I make decisions, the actions that I take, and the reactions I have, all are successors to my worldview. What I believe, what I believe, and why I believe, what I believe, and the evidence that supports it. Um, So, our challenge to you is explore your worldview, and uh, challenge it, and have your friends challenge it for you. Have a wonderful weekend, and I will talk to you soon.